The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. For the week trending, we're joined by Aoife Barry, Assistant News Editor of the Journal.ie, and Kieran Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer of the Irish Daily Star. And let's start for that David Beckham story because. I suppose for a 12-hour investment, priceless publicity for David Beckham OBE. Yeah, branded like Beckham, still part of the to the long game that he's playing. Are we been too cynical here? No, no, not at all, because uh, like he does have something in common with King Charles. Both have taken millions from the Qataris in the last year or so, so that... Uh, I'm sure that, that, that that's something they could, they, they could have, uh, something they have to talk about, but I think this guy's obsessed with getting a knighthood. And he's, he's uh, so many of his moves, like, he's likable in some ways. Like, he does come across as being, uh, you know, relatively unspoiled, even by, even given the fact he's vast wealth. And he comes from a very humble background. Like, during the London Olympics, I stayed in the area late, uh, where he's from. And it's pretty run down part of London. Like, to get where he go, came from to do what he did was was quite special, to use the word he just used there. But... Do you honestly believe he queued for 12 hours? I don't know. It's the video evidence would seem to suggest that he did. Right. And in fairness, yeah, Aoife yeah. Barry, there seems to have been a lot of queue jumpers, as in mm. a special VIP, a bit like a Disney yeah. Fast Pass track. Yeah, apparently so. Um, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that, like in terms of if you have a queue that's this, that's this long and you have very important people that want to be part of that queue and you see the you know, videos and the plans are online showing like nine hours to queue, going up to 12 hours, etc. Um, people like David Beckham potentially getting to actually skip the queue to a point like, I mean, why wouldn't that happen? Like they're not like, quote unquote, normal people and you are taking part in a, you know, the pomp and ceremony of a not very normal person being quote unquote, being buried. So like, I mean, I Hang suppose, on, I, I suppose, okay. I'm not the, saying the, I agree with them, but I'm just I'm not surprised. No, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But there's a bigger issue yeah. about this desire to queue for so long to file mm. past a coffin. Yeah. I, I mean, I know in Ireland that I have been at funerals where you might queue for, at the removal down the country for an hour yeah. or so. Yeah, pay tribute to somebody. Pay tribute to somebody yeah. to shake hands with their family. Yeah. And it is respectful, but... Yeah. This is different, isn't it? The idea of queuing overnight for 14 hours. I don't, I don't know if it is, though. I mean, you're talking about the, a queen, right? Now, I have absolutely zero interest in the royal family. Either, and I don't, I'm not a, a monarchist or anything like that. So I'm speaking as someone who's not like invested in it. Um, but I, as a kind of devil's advocate, perhaps, like you're t- talking about people who are really invested in the queen. She means something to them. They look up to her. She was a woman who ruled for, what, 70 odd years. Like, I can't get into that mindset because that's not my personal mindset. But I think if you do try try to get into people's shoes, of course people would queue for 12 plus hours because they want to pay tribute to her and they're willing to and they want to be part of the the process and the paying tribute and the, you know, seeing the the staff there, you know, doing their their shifts and seeing all the pomp and ceremony. Now, it's not an open casket or anything. We're not talking about like, you know, Lennon or somebody like that. Um, but it's interesting to see as an outsider because to us, it's to a lot of us here in Ireland, it's something that perhaps you don't necessarily understand or want to be part of. But I think if you step into the people's shoes who want to be part of that, you can see why people would literally be willing to do anything. I mean, they're queuing up with their kids, dressing their kids up in different mm-hmm. outfits. Like it's a big, huge thing for a lot of people. But it's remarkable to the amount of people here who feel the same way. And I've, I've never really understood that, mm-hmm. that 
Uh, no, yesterday on BBC, uh, I had, there was an Irish woman interviewed and she did live in, she had lived in the UK for years, but she had a couple of rooms in her house and her attic just full of royal memorabilia. Wow. And I remember, um, uh, like, you'd know from your time in newspapers, Matt, as an editor, you know, how hard it is to get a spike in, in, in uh, sales. Like, and there's very, like, particularly in, say, tabloids, there, there are a few mainstays, like Cheltenham Week, you would always get a spike. Then around Saipan, like, remark, big stories or big criminal trial, you might get a spike. But the biggest spike the star ever got, in percentage terms, was Diana, the week after Diana died, Princess Diana. And there was a hysteria yeah. around Sorry, that I, week. I, I can say, I remember I was editor of the Sunday Tribune, and in my six and a half years as the editor, the Sunday, the day after the funeral, was by far the biggest sale of the paper we ever got. Yeah. Even by comparison with breaking some really significant major stories politically yeah. in around the same time. And no, it was Princess Diana's funeral that but, got us the sales. Yeah, because I, I think there's a thing that, um, like, even years later, you know, it was a shorthand. We would talk of Diana Week as, you know, something, you know, when you're kind of aiming for a big sales thing. But I think uh, part of it, it's a soap opera. Like, it's a soap opera that people are obsessed with because it's such, uh, you know, we can, we can get into the history of it in a while, but even the history of, of the, if you get away from the political part of the history, it's an incredibly dysfunctional family. You know, it's a dysfunctional family that other dysfunctional families would call the Galacticos to mangle a line that Declan Lynch used to use about the FAI. <laughs> because if you go through the history, like, there's everything there. You know, there, there's no... But even in the last no. couple of years, yeah. Prince yeah, Andrew. Like, yeah. And, and the Meghan Markle and the Harry years. thing. Like, there's always something, you yeah. know. And I, I think, I think that, like... That's why there was a lot of love, I think, particularly say like my mum's generation for Princess Diana. And it wasn't because my mum's not a royalist. It wasn't because she's necessarily a fan of the royal family. It was because they're a fan of a woman like Diana who stood against the royals and who was this kind of modern woman who had been, who had suffered a lot in terms of her relationship with her husband. She was victimised by the press. She stood for a kind of a modern woman within a very old and traditional society. And I think a lot of women in Ireland really appreciated seeing a woman kicking it back against a system. System, like they were trying to do in, within the Irish system of kicking back against the powers that be. And I that, think that's a really interesting relationship. But that in that week, we don't talk about the it. Queen's popularity was at its lowest ever until mm-hmm. belatedly on the Thursday she apologised essentially mm-hmm. and put the flags at half mask on Buckingham Palace. Uh, there's a listener who says the VIP area was for disabled people and people with restricted mobility. Don't be so cynical. It was shown on BBC News last night. Yes, it was, but it was also for other people, including TV presenters who went through. Mm-hmm. In double quick time and who didn't queue along with everybody else who was queuing. But then you got other things that have happened with it as well. It, there seems to be an extraordinary amount of Paddington Bear toys been left as gifts. Yeah, and marmalade mm. sandwiches to the point where they had to ask people to stop leaving those sort of things because there is this like cutifying and memifying of the Queen over the last little while where it's that appearance with Paddington where they quote unquote had tea with each other becomes this thing of, I suppose, showing she's just like us, you know, ma'am loves Paddington Bear. So it shows something about her personality and people kind of buying into these cutesy yeah. moments has become part of the mourning process of the Queen. And like I would say, like uh, you mentioned before you came in there here, Matt, that, you know, you discussed this, this, this slot last week. Yeah, last and Friday. And there was a bit of reaction to it because, you know, it was, it was regarded as inappropriate uh, for a nation that was mourning. Yeah, but I, I think the mood has changed a little bit because the, it's been so over the top and for so lo- and it's gone on for so long that, uh, you know, uh, that people are going, 
you know, why don't you bury the poor woman? You know, what is, you know, this, this, uh, this ritual, uh, you know, is bordering hysteria. That, like even the little details that come out about the royal beekeeper has to tell the bees that she's passed away. They were all abuzz that day. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's, and, and there's kind of competitive forelock touching going on. Like you've seen it with, you know, Sinn Féin now. Like Sinn Féin are just, like I've seen like somebody like Eamon McCann who would become from a similar background to a lot of people like Alex Maskey say. And they're going, what's going on? Like what does Sinn Féin stand for now? What kind oh, sorry, of party were they are they? they showing for a little bit of respect mm. from the point of view of being genuinely sincere towards those with whom they're within political opposition but whom they want to live with in the future in Ireland. That what Sinn Féin did was extremely mature even if they don't agree with the monarchy or with the presence of Britain in Northern Ireland. It was respectful towards those of a British tradition but in you this can island. Be, you can, I don't know. I think the two could I think they've made a concerted effort to come across as Fianna Fáil light. And maybe that is their future anyway. No, but I don't see... The, I, I, like, I didn't see... I don't see any messaging now about where they stand for in regards to the monarchy and regards to the history of Britain. Now. They're, they're trying to appeal to all sorts of people from all sorts of background. And a lot of people, have, young people especially, have gone towards Sinn Féin and who will vote for Sinn Féin and campaign for Sinn Féin believe in a very different party. They believe Sinn Féin is something that I'm not sure it is. No, they believe it's a party that will deliver uh, left-wing promises. But like the way they, they, I can see why they they asked TDs and councillors not you know to be very careful about what you tweet at the time. That was right to be respectful. But as the week has gone on, I'm not I'm not so sure about it. Okay, listener, so sure has it become a Friday tradition on your show to slate the Brits, same as last Friday? Very bad. Another one. I've never heard as much bigotry and snide comments as this week in Ireland. I'm disgusted and ashamed of people's behaviour, including people in the media who should know better. There are English people who live in this country, so I have a bit of respect. Again, I have to say, how is it not showing respect that not everybody in England or Britain believes no. that? Mm-hmm. They should be behaving as they're required almost to behave at present. And we've had this, we've Nick Ferrari was with us on the programme the other day and even he was laughing at the nonsense of centre parks, for example, yeah. Yeah. deciding that they were shutting for the day, that people would be turfed out. Then they would be allowed to stay on the premises, they but they had there. to stay in their huts. Yeah. But then they didn't have to stay in their huts. They could wander around the facilities, but they would be shot. Even yeah. the British... Bicycle Association telling everyone to dismount at the time that the funeral is due to start on on Monday and stay off their bikes until the funeral was over. I mean, mean, come on. Social media has been pretty awash with all of those examples and there was an account called Grief Watch, I think, that has been compiling them. And I think, like, those aren't necessarily... Those are kind of like the... They're like interesting examples of how far it can go and these kind of silly examples of, you know, even things like people tweeting about um, operations being cancelled and this idea that life cannot continue as normal, which I think is different to the idea of we're following the processes of the Queen dying and ergo we have to do certain things, which I think people understand. But what they don't understand is the really strange examples of, you know, I saw photographs of bits of the West End being closed off today as Mm. if it's like a no-go area because everything's closed. 
food you banks, know, food banks, food banks are to be closed for the day. Yeah. Yeah. And if you wanted to, if you want, sorry, the mere yeah. fact that they actually have so many food banks yeah, is a story in itself. Yeah. But then to actually shut them down, yeah. Yeah. because that's what the Queen would have wanted. But like you look at look at across the media and the people have been interviewed in queues all week. Like why aren't the interviewing people who queue for food banks every single week? And what that says about Britain. And I think this whole, you know, the, this the, what we've seen over the last nine days. It highlights that it's a broken society, and you know, and it all comes from everything that's gone on between, from Brexit onwards. You know, the, all the you know the the people that have been uh, ended up as prime minister, and you know all the stories that come out around them. That it's a very divided country, and if you look even at opinion polls, a significant amount of people in Britain want the monarchy to go, but the way the media and the way the pressure is put on you. Uh, it's as if everybody is in support, as if everybody is in mourning. And the way dissent is shouted down, like the, the few, the handful of protesters have been arrested yeah. on spurious charges. Mm-hmm. You know, the charges that wouldn't ever stand up ordinarily. So one individual who shouted at Prince Andrew was handcuffed and taken away for a breach of the peace. And a lot of people were pointed out Prince Andrew has never seen a pair of handcuffs yet, despite very serious allegations. Yeah, and the royal family and the royal family paid twelve million sterling, so they wouldn't have to face the charges. Twelve million quid was the settlement. Yeah, to buy silence effectively. Yeah. So that you know, this is all to be part okay, of the story. The thing, and we are running a little bit late for the break, but actually, we'll wait. We come back because I do want to talk to you about and kind of further on from what you said about Sinn Fein, because maybe Sinn Fein got the benefit of the way the reception they got from King Charles in Belfast during the week. We'll come back and we'll talk about that with Kieran Cunningham and Aoife Barry and other things on the week's trending as well after we've had the traffic with Alex Rowling. Aoife Barry from the journal.ie, Kieran Cunningham from the Irish Daily Star boat with us. Here's a listener who says, as a nationalist living in Northern Ireland, I think that Sinn Féin acted exactly as they should have this week. At the end of the day, it paid respect to a woman who died and acknowledged her contribution to peace in the North. So Kieran Cunningham, I mean, again, did it not do the right thing in a sense of also that King Charles, in a conversation that we clearly heard the audio from with Michelle O'Neill and Alex Maskey, seemed far more open and receptive to them than he did to Geoffrey Donaldson, mm. with whom he seemed a little bit off. Yeah. That, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I think a lot of the establishment in the UK are very fed up with the unionists. You know, the, the, I think they see them as... Uh, as troublemakers and as eternal troublemakers, whereas, you know, those like in Sinn Féin have been, you know, they have changed. You know, you, can't, you have to acknowledge that they've made, a, they've, they've made dramatic progress in, in the positions that, that they stand in. And I think uh, the establishment recognises that. As for the Queen's contribution to the peace process, uh, I think it's minimal at best. You know, I don't know. What, like, what was that in real terms? Did she make a real contribution? Symbolic. The speak coming, the visit in 2011 to the Republic, laying the wreath at the Garden of Remembrance, speaking at the state dinner yeah, in but Irish. That's, that's 17 years after the IRA ceasefire. You know, it was a long, it's a long, it's many 16, uh, 13 years after the Good Friday Agreement. You know, surely, you know, things had moved on a long way by then. If I, but what about the potential for King Charles to be more active politically mm. than Queen Elizabeth was, who more or less kept her mouth shut about what her opinions were. Yeah. Guesses were made on occasions. Yeah. But it seems that he's far more likely to say what he thinks and to mm. try to intervene in a way that could cause problems. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if he does change things in terms of how the monarchy or how he, in his role, 
you know, would deal with kind of political issues or get involved. And she was like, we know he's really like passionate about things like climate change, for example. And we know that like racism is a, is a very big issue that was highlighted not only in within you know, the UK in terms of the structures there, but also within the royal family itself, which Meghan Markle uh, and Prince Harry hi- highlighted. And he is a very, out, you know, he's an outspoken person in the sense that, like, we know if he's grumpy, uh, we saw him giving out about things from, you know, the using his pens and stuff like that during the week. Um, and he's a different personality to his mother. It's also 2022. So moving with the times, is he going to show that he actually should have more of uh, a spoke in things? And like you're saying there, you know, when he did meet Sinn Féin and DUP, you know, he knew about Sinn Féin. He knew kind of how popular the party was. He showed an interest in them. I'm sure he's not delighted about the kind of stalemate um, that's ongoing in Northern Ireland at the moment either. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see. Like he could, he could introduce some new, you know, modernization. I mean, the fact that the Queen rarely spoke out about these sort of things was why we, or why Ireland thought it was great that she said what three or four words in in Irish because that was seen as a huge move from her. But actually, what would a huge move from King Charles be? If you get me, it'd be interesting to see what the mm. comparison between the two are. Then again, like plus a change, plus a même chose, say la même chose. Like the more things change, the more things say the same. Like he might actually not do anything dramatic. Yeah, not, he's he's not, also not, seventy; not, he's not going to be in the role for as long no, as she not was. Not taking money from Qatar would be a, yeah. a significant. Yeah. I mean, there's those kind of moves too. Exactly. Yeah. There's a listener here who says, "I've lived in Ireland for twenty years. I'm English, and I'm finding your show increasingly difficult to listen to. Your endless sneering comments about the British is so offensive." You were never hear a broadcaster in the BBC talk about the Irish the way you talk about us. And listener, I'm sorry you feel that way. I genuinely do not believe that I am being sneering about the British people. Mm. I think that we're having what I think is a conversation about things that we're witnessing and that are broadcast into our homes and that we see on websites and newspapers and are the topics of conversation. And an awful lot of people I know just find it very hard to understand and there's an awful lot of people in Britain we know as well who feel at this stage that they can't speak up and say that they think that some of the things they're required to do are excessive mm. and that there's a degree of deference and class yeah. differences shown Absolutely. as well. This whole idea of bowing and scraping to monarchy is maybe perhaps what many of us here in Ireland just find very difficult, which yeah. is why we prefer like you the see idea the of analysis and the, the, you know, the comment about how Liz Truss bowed or curtsied. You know, like people inter- uh, go over this stuff uh, to to an astonishing degree. She didn't and get, do it properly. Is yeah, it? she didn't do it properly. And if you look at the, the uh, like, I think I, I honestly think most, the vast majority of Irish people have no issue with English people or British people, but a lot would have been uh, serious issues with the monarchy as an institution and the way you know its history and how it became so powerful and the people, the things that it's been involved in over the years. And even, the, you know, the aristocracy as a whole, if you look at people with titles, like the most, the biggest landowner in Britain, for example, is the Duke of Westminster. And he's only 31. And in, in Scotland alone, he, own, he owns over 130,000 acres. And when do you ever see any scrutiny about where, you know, how that came about? Do you know how much the British royal family may be worth? An estimate in the New York Times this week suggested it's worth as £30 billion pounds sterling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, but but you look at the, like people like the royals and the Duke, like the, the Duke of Westminster, we mentioned there. Like it's not like his forebears went into the local uh, estate agent and they bid for twenty acres at a time. Like if you want to use the, you know, how that land was acquired, 
is a significant story in, in Britain's history. And we have been told so many times over the last week to pay attention to the history and that, that this is a historical figure who passed away. You can't be selective in history. You have to look at history as a whole. And the whole of British history in terms of the royals and the way lands was acquired, etc., and the way land was acquired overseas is an ugly history. There's no getting away from that. That's actually something we'll be getting back to later. Sorry, we're we're running very short time and we're running over time. But there is something else I want to ask you about, Aoife, one other story. And that's what's happening in Sweden because you hear a lot Mm. of people here on the political left who hold up the Scandinavian model as one that we should emulate. But will they be able to do so as Sweden has taken a decisive shift not just to the right, but to the far right. Yeah, it's really scary, actually. When I was first seeing these kind of stories around um, about uh, Social Dem- Democrat, um, the party that is uh, really on the rise in Sweden after uh, the recent general election that's actually going to have power in, in the country, it's a real indication of how things are in Sweden at the moment. I mean, about one third of the country um, comes from originally came from abroad. There's a lot of migration to Sweden and that is leading to people taking advantage of that as a way of stoking up um, really negative, uh, you know, racist talk about people, about what it is to be a Swede, about what it is to even get like social welfare in Sweden. Um, it's really, really scary because you're seeing a pattern happening across Europe over the last X amount of years. And the fact that there's extremist and neo-Nazi roots in the history of this particular party really doesn't bode well, even if it went through some sort of a kind of a, a change or it spruced itself up a little bit. At the end of the day, it's coming from a background where it believes in the, the you know, the, the right people and the wrong people. And, it, you know, it's got like a, you know, a plan for an immigration regime in Europe, you know, allowing, for example, that would allow Sweden reject asylum seekers based on things like sexual identity and religion. Um, this seems to have struck a chord, according to analysis, with working class male voters in, in Sweden. Um, and the party particularly pulled really well among first time voters, especially young men. I think that's really like that ties into this this global love of these figures. You know, um, I'm not saying that these people are, are fascist or anything, but they're, you know, more conservative, right leaning like Joe Rogan, you know, people like that. The idea of young men getting into these sort of parties. So it's going to be a really tough time for Sweden, for people living in Sweden, particularly if they're immigrants. That's what you yeah, I just I think it's very worrying too, too that uh, 12 years ago, they only got 5% of the vote mm-hmm. and the vote has gone up by 400% in Huge. just 12 years. And it shows the appetite and a lot of that has been for that kind of politics and a lot of it has been fed online, particularly in Facebook and YouTube and people who are uh, being easily manipulated by what is genuinely fake news. Karen Cunningham, Chief Sports Writer of the Irish Daily Star and Aoife Barry, Assistant News Editor of the Journal.ie. Thank you both very much for being with us here on The Last Word at Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.